0: why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Uh, Here in just a minute we're going to read verses 18 through 21 as our text for today. Have you ever been driving through somewhere, say uh, a large city that you were visiting, and just had this overwhelming thought of like how small you are? I, I have these kind of thoughts a lot. I'll It happens to me, actually, uh, here in Columbus. I'll be in a part of town that I haven't, you know, been in for a while. And I'll think, man, look at all of these people whose lives are going on. And and, the same time as mine. And and this is just one little section of Columbus, which is, you know, kind of a medium-sized large city. And so, look at all these people. And this plays out in city after city across the United States, which, by the way, is, is fairly light on population compared to some places like India and China. And, and I just start thinking about how vast our world is and how many people uh, there are. And, and you can just really start to feel kind of small, sort of insignificant. And I think there is a desire within all of us to, uh, to, to have significance, to connect with something that, that feels really important and really great. And, and I think in these um, uh, times when we feel so small, and, you know, let's face it, our day-to-day lives can be fairly mundane sometimes. Anybody connect with that? Day-to-day life, fairly mundane? No, you all are on an adventure every day? Oh, that's, that's, that's great. That's great. I, I need to talk to you after uh, service. To find out how I live that adventurous life every day. Um, but our lives can feel kind of mundane. We, we can feel a little bit small. And so uh, we, we desire to connect with something larger. And I think this uh, is at play in things like how passionately we connect to things like Ohio State football. Because we're part of something. We somehow feel that we're connected to something that's really, really big, something that's really great. Uh, I think this is uh, one of the things that really drives our great passion for uh, our nation. You know, as we see American power projected across the world in a a way we're able to connect with that and feel like we're a part of something really great and really awesome, something that's just a big deal. And, And today, the text that we're going to look at, Luke 13, it lets us know that each one of us who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord We are a part of a really big deal. Our day to day lives may feel very mundane. Uh, we, We may at times look at the vastness of the world around us and feel somewhat insignificant. And yet the scripture tells us that we are a part of something great world changing, cosmos changing. It's an encouraging text, I think. Uh, So let's look at it. Luke 13, I'll read, you follow along, just a few short verses. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through uh, the dough, or through all the dough, I should say. So this is our text for today, and whenever you see the phrase kingdom of God, or in the book of Matthew especially, you'll see it references the kingdom of heaven, you need to understand that phrase as basically meaning the rule and reign of God. Now, entire books are written on this topic, but, but the question of what is the proper definition of the kingdom of God uh, usually comes down to this fairly simple idea of it's the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a great tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches." And I think we need a little context to understand what Jesus is saying here. The, the mustard seed, as most of you probably know, is a, a very small seed. Uh, in fact, in Matthew's account of uh, this, Jesus references the mustard seed as the smallest of all seeds. So Jesus says that from this very small seed, a tree grows and gives shelter uh, to birds that come and perch on its branches. Now, the variety of mustard seed, we are told by by scholars that's in view here, uh, really did grow to become an actual tree, not a a real large tree, but a tree, uh, something between 10 and 25 feet. Scholars debate the size of this tree probably was. And birds did come and perch on the branches uh, of this tree because they evidently loved the little uh, black mustard seeds. Now, some scholars will take a little exception with calling uh, this a tree and uh, a mustard plant a tree, and so so they note that they believe there is a miraculous component to Jesus' teaching here, that that what in normal circumstances might be considered a shrub, Jesus says actually becomes a mighty tree. So it's important to understand that in the East, the regular symbol of a great empire was a mighty tree. Tree, Uh, And the nations that were subject to that great empire were often typified by birds that would sit and perch in the branches of the mighty tree. An example of this comes to us in the book of Daniel chapter 4. Uh, in the Old Testament with King Nebuchadnezzar. Many of you are familiar with King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, he had a dream that was interpreted by a man named Belshazzar. And, and in the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar, his rule, his empire, was likened to a mighty tree. So, so this is an example of this uh, in the Old Testament. So Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows into a tree, and the birds of the air perch in its branches, and so what does this tell us about the kingdom of God? It, it tells us many things. In fact, in researching this uh, this week, it was really kind of difficult to narrow down the things that I wanted to discuss. There's just really a lot in these verses, a lot of richness in them. But I settled on three points that I want us to cover today, and here's the first one: The kingdom of God starts small, but will eventually cover the entire Earth." Even more, it will extend throughout the entire created order, the entire cosmos. Jesus wanted his followers then, and he uh, wanted those who were skeptical about him then to know that the, the movement that did not look very impressive, right at that moment, it was destined to cover the entire earth. And Jesus wants those of us here today who follow him, and he wants those of us here today who are skeptical toward him, to know that though the kingdom of God began in very humble beginnings, and though the church today, the the people of God and the earth, seems to sometimes ebb and flow in its influence in society, the kingdom of God is on a growth trajectory that will only end when the rule of King Jesus covers the entire earth the entire created order, when the rule and reign of Jesus extends to all of creation. And so, friends, what this tells us is that you and I, believers in Jesus Christ, are part of something that is truly great. You know, Ohio State's ad campaign uh, encourages you to come there to, what is it? Do something great. You've seen that? No, you've not seen that? I promise you it's true. Do something great. And they were going to go with do something big. But then they thought that would draw attention to how big the university is. So they opted for do something great. If you've accepted the rule of King Jesus into your life, you are a part of something that is truly great. Now, right now, the kingdom of God comes one person at a time. It comes one person at a time. So it can sometimes look like it's sort of slow in its expansion. It can sometimes look not so great when we just look at it right now. But you are a part of something great. Right now, we live in this uh, tension between the kingdom of God having come, but not yet come in its fullness. Right now, we don't see the full benefits ...of the kingdom of God. Right now we still live among fallen men and fallen women... ...and we live in this fallen cosmos that groans with pain. Groans with the pain of its fallen condition. But here's the end result of all of it. The kingdom of God will come in fullness. King Jesus will rule the entire earth. His rule will extend to the entire universe... You are a part of something great. The birds perching in the uh, branches of the tree give us our next point on the kingdom. And that is that all people and all nations are going to find shelter and protection in the kingdom of God. Let's say that again. All people and all nations are going to find shelter and protection in the kingdom of God. Now, listen, I think you guys know me well enough that, that I can say this without too much hostility being directed toward me, at least I hope, so I'm going to build my case here for a second. Uh, I love the United States of America. I, I really do. I am proud of it, at least mostly. I, uh, I think our system of government, our commitment to freedom, our preference for free markets make us a model that other nations should pattern themselves after. But can I let you in on something? The kingdom of God is not an American thing. The kingdom of God is not an American thing. The kingdom of God is for all people of every nation on earth, as the El Salvador team will testify very loudly to you today. It's for all people. From all nations on earth, an everlasting kingdom is arising. Out of all people groups on earth, God is building a unified people for himself. And here's the thing, one of the things that distinguishes these people of God, and that is that their allegiance is not first and foremost to their earthly nation but to the everlasting kingdom of God. Where is your allegiance first and foremost? Can I suggest a way to to kind of examine where your allegiance is? Are you ready? Honestly assess... Whether you're more passionate about the United States of America or the kingdom of God, by doing this little, little test, little simple test. Which song most floats your boat? I'm proud to be an American or Amazing Grace? You all look very, very interesting. Now, I'll be honest with you, both of those songs uh, kind of send chills up my spine, and, and I think that's okay. But, friend, we have an allegiance problem if, as a Christian, we get more charged up over country than we do over kingdom. I love the United States of America, but God is not building the United States of America. God is building his kingdom. And friends, if the United States of America crashes on the rocks of irrelevancy tomorrow, by the way, you know Bible scholars debate if they can even find the United States uh, in in end-time scripture. Are you aware of that? Not even sure they can find us in there anywhere. If the United States crashes on the rocks of irrelevancy tomorrow, and our cherished identity the, as being part of the most powerful nation on earth is no more, if you have received the rule of King Jesus, you are still a part of something great, something that ends with the eternal universal rule of King Jesus. That's where your allegiance needs to lie. And that's our third point from the mustard seed parable. Human government comes to nothing, but the kingdom of God is forever. Daniel 4 likens King Nebuchadnezzar's rule to a mighty tree. But in Daniel 4, that mighty tree, because of King Nebuchadnezzar's refusal to worship the king of kings, is reduced to a stump. The mighty tree is cut down. And friends, this is the end. This is the end of the story of all human government. Great trees that will get cut down. But the kingdom of God is the mighty tree. The government that will stand forever. Isaiah 6 says of the rule of King Jesus, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Maybe it's just because my delivery is sort of slow, but that was a good opportunity to say amen. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> I can't repeat it, Stan. Don't want to... Yeah, never mind. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows into a great tree. And then he says it's like yeast that works its way through a large amount of flour. Now, the amount of flour here, according to Daryl Bach, was probably about 50 pounds. Now, I don't do a lot, of, a lot of baking, but that's a lot of flour, right? Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big heaping of flour. And so the picture that Jesus is painting here is that just a pinch of yeast, just a very little amount of yeast, eventually permeates the entire amount of the flour. And so the, the point of the parable of the yeast is really the same as the parable of the mustard seed. And that is that what uh, starts out initially as very small and seemingly insignificant eventually permeates Everything. And so the obvious point is that the kingdom of God, while it had small beginnings, will in the end cover the earth. Again, this is the primary point of both parables. From small beginnings, the kingdom of God eventually extends to universal rule forever. And then the second point that we take from the parable of the yeast is that once the yeast is introduced to the flour, it is there and it is active, but it takes a while before it permeates the entire thing. Likewise, the kingdom of God has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. It's at work, it's active, but more of its influence is yet to come. More of its influence is yet to be manifested at some future point. Hopefully if you've been around here for very long you've uh, become at least somewhat familiar with this term the already but the not yet of the kingdom of God. It's simply a, a little phrase that acknowledges that the rule of Jesus has come to the, to the world. It, it is active in the earth but not yet to the fullness that it will someday be. And this helps us to answer some of our more troubling questions. Questions like, why is there still sickness and disease? Because the kingdom has come, but not yet in its fullness. Why are there natural disasters and acts of terrorism? Because the kingdom has come, but it's not in its full expression yet. Why, if God is active in in ruling through Christ, do so many bad things happen to people, even people who belong to God? Why do we still have to contend with that horrible enemy death that Scripture tells us Christ is defeated? It's because God's rule has come, but not yet in the fullness that we will someday see it. There is a competing kingdom at work in the world. We're aware of this, but we often overlook it. There is an enemy of our souls who is actively trying to come against the work of God in our lives. We still live in a fallen world that hasn't yet experienced restoration to the way God originally intended it. God's rule and reign have come, but more is on the way. Are you thankful that more is on the way? I tell you, friends, I think that one of the greatest roles that our difficulties and our sufferings can serve in our lives is to give us a true hunger, a true desire for that coming kingdom, to where we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We, we experience the good things of this fallen world, and thankfully there's, there's still so much good that we get to experience in life. There's enough heartache and pain that our heart should get to the place where we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want your full rule and reign in our lives and over the entire earth. And here's a point I wanted to make today regarding the kingdom of God, and that is that the final manifestation of the kingdom, the kingdom in its fullness, requires the return of Jesus Christ. There has developed a a view in the church in recent years, and really this thinking's been around in some form probably forever, um, but but it seems to me to have gained more of a following again in recent years. and, And it's this notion that we Christians are tasked... With, with bringing the kingdom of God to earth. I've probably even used this terminology at times. That basically, we are called to build a better and better society that will improve over time to the point that we have partnered with God to bring about the full expression of the kingdom of God here, and then Christ will return to rule this kingdom that we have helped him build. But friends, this just isn't so. It's true that the power of the kingdom broke into this present evil age at Christ's first coming. And the fullness of the power of God's kingdom is only going to be known when Christ comes again. In fact, the idea that we bring the kingdom of God to earth at all is a little bit suspect. Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert in their excellent book, What is the Mission of the Church?, make a very strong case that when Scripture speaks of our relationship to the kingdom of God, it's almost always a passive relationship. Words like inherit. Words like receive. Even George Eldon Ladd, who who wrote the gold standard book on the, the kingdom of God called The Gospel of the Kingdom, makes the point that, quote, men do not give the kingdom to one another. Our responsibility as Christians is to live as citizens of the kingdom, to bear witness to the king of the kingdom, to proclaim the coming of the kingdom. But we don't bring the kingdom. God brings the kingdom. It's God's work to bring his rule and reign on earth. And here's one of the reasons that it's important for us to note that it is God and not us that brings the kingdom. Because of that truth, you can be absolutely confident that nothing is going to stop the coming of God's kingdom in its fullness. Nothing. Amen. Great forces are at work in the world fighting against the kingdom of God. But nothing can stop it from coming. Not politics. Not terrorism. Not hostility against Christianity. Not the secularization of society. Not even widespread apostasy. Not even the devil himself can stop the coming of God's kingdom. Nothing can stop it. That's where history is headed the full expression of God's kingdom. Just as surely as the yeast is going to work its way through the entire amount of flour, just as surely the kingdom of God is coming in full power. You're part of something great. Those of you who are a part of the kingdom of God, but but maybe you've been feeling weary. Maybe maybe you've even been wondering, you know, I don't know if I can keep up with this thing. I I just don't know if I'm going to continue to press into this. I I, I might just turn around and kind of go off on my my own and, and do my own thing. Why would you refuse to be a part of something this great? Why would you turn your back on being a part of God's plan to restore mankind and the entire created order back to himself and rule with justice and peace forever, why would you turn your back on that? And if you're here today and you've never invited the rule of Jesus into your life, why would you refuse that? Why would you refuse that? What temptation is so appealing to miss out on that? And don't be mistaken, that is where history concludes. That's where it's going. Why not yield to it now? There's nothing worth missing out. Nothing worth missing out on this great thing that God is doing. Absolutely nothing. You would do well to receive God's rule but your rejection of it is not going to stop it from being fully realized. Now let's take this down to a little more personal level. How do these verses on what the kingdom of God is like impact us personally? Now there's been a lot of personal application in what we've said already, but, but here's something I really want to, to draw out of this for us to think about in terms of just us. We, we've talked a lot about God's rule on a global scale uh, throughout the universe, but, but let's just talk about us for a minute. Daryl Bach writes this, To manifest the kingdom's presence is not to build buildings or pass laws, but it's to honor God with a quality of life that is directed powerfully by the transforming power of his spirit. If God's people have any priority, it should be the commitment to live, relate and serve in a way that honors him. Okay, so this is all good news. God's kingdom is going somewhere. It's going to it's going to cover the earth. But but now what about us? What's our responsibility? It's to, to live lives that glorify God. It's to relate to God uh, in a way that allows Him to, to change us. It's to uh, serve in a way that honors Him. And this is how the kingdom comes at the present time. Not in a blaze of glory. That, that's coming. The blaze of glory is coming. But right now the kingdom of God comes to us one person at a time. And part of the reason that Jesus even had to teach this was to counteract the expectation that the Jewish people had of a sudden and dramatic coming of God's kingdom. Again, that's going to happen, but right now the expansion happens with me, with Jarrell, with Sean. Better throw some women in here with Kay. (laughs) Don't want to be accused of anything. (laughs) So that's how the kingdom comes now, one person at a time. We enter the kingdom and live as a part of the kingdom as our individual lives are yielded to the rule of Jesus Christ in increasing measure. The the kingdom expands as you and I yield to the rule of King Jesus. But you may have noticed this doesn't come easy for us. Have you noticed that? It, It does not come easy we are not naturally inclined to surrender the rule of our own lives to anyone else, including God. And so how do we do it? Well, well there are many things we can apply from these verses to this question, but, but here's where I want to focus our attention for today. The power to yield to the rule of Jesus, the, the power to change from sinful people to righteous people does not lie within us. You, you know this part, does not lie within us. Just like the flower needs power from outside of itself, the yeast, to change it, so we need power from outside of ourselves to change, to yield, to accept the rule of Christ, to stop sinning and to glorify God with our lives. We need the power of God, the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. Something outside of ourselves to help us if we're going to be changed, if we're going to be transformed. Of course, we say we know that, and yet we often live as though we can do this thing on our own, that, you know, we can just white-knuckle our way through this thing. But here's another important thing for us to note about yeast. While it is a power from the outside, it can't work from the outside. It can only work once it gets on the inside. It's power from outside, but it can only work from the inside. That's when it begins to transform. So for all of us here today that need to be reminded of this, and for some of us here today, maybe you're hearing this for the first time, for our lives to receive the rule of God through Christ, for us to be conformed to the kingdom of God, for us to be transformed into the people that God wants us to be, for us to effectively bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and impact others for the kingdom of God, we need power from outside and beyond us to be in us. Here's the prophecy of Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-six, and 27. It's a prophecy of a day when power from outside and beyond will be in the people of God. Here's what it says. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. New spirit. God says, I'm going to, God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. In John 14, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to return to the Father. And that when he did, the Father would send them another counselor. The Holy Spirit. In John 20, 21 and 22, we read, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 tells of the disciples of Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7 says, For God who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure. God in us. Treasure in jars of clay. Why? Why do we have that? Second Corinthians says to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Colossians one twenty seven refers to this glorious mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you the hope of glory. 1 Corinthians 3:16 Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in You need power from outside and beyond you to be in you. The yeast won't accomplish its purpose until it gets into the flour. Say, Brian, how do I get the power from outside and beyond me to be in me? You simply invite God into your heart. You understand that when you truly turn your life over to Jesus, you receive His empowering Spirit. And you also understand that being filled with the Spirit of God isn't just a one-time experience. But that as we see in the book of Acts, being filled with the Spirit of God is something that can happen over and over again in a Christian's life. Notice Ezekiel's prophecy said that you would be moved by the Spirit to, quote, be careful to keep my laws. We really should not understand receiving the Spirit, uh, being indwelled by the Spirit is exempting us from any human effort. And and that sometimes gets presented as the case. God indwells me. I don't really have to do anything. I just sit and let God move. And uh, try that. And... um, you'll pretty much do what you've been doing. So, God cooperates with us. So, so, we shouldn't understand receiving the Spirit as exempting us from any effort. Rather, we should view the receiving of the Holy Spirit as enabling Spirit-empowered effort. The, the Bible is not familiar with no effort following of Jesus. But what the Bible is familiar with, that we do not allow to be at work in our lives far too often, is spirit-empowered effort. Friend, you are not on your own to live for God, and in fact, you cannot live for God on your own. You have been given the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you to empower you to live a godly, Christ-honoring, God-glorifying life. And if you've never received the Spirit of God, you can do so today. Here in a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward. And you can come forward and you can invite the Holy Spirit to come into your heart. You can invite God through the Holy Spirit to indwell you. Maybe you've never done that before. Today you can do it. Maybe you've done it, but but you're here today and you're uh, feeling empty. You can be filled again today with God's Spirit. You can be renewed. You can be empowered afresh yet today. The kingdom of God starts small, but it will eventually end with the rule of Jesus covering the entire earth and extending to every corner of the universe. All people and nations are going to find Shelter and protection in the kingdom of God. Human government comes to nothing, but the kingdom of God stands forever. The kingdom is come. It is here. But there's more that's coming. And friends, there is absolutely nothing that will stop it from coming in its full expression. And for us to be a part of the kingdom, to, to participate faithfully in bearing witness to His kingdom, We need power from outside and beyond us to be in us. Why don't you stand?